Our children are very fortunate to have our staff. They're incredible. I want to ask you a question, one that someone posed to me recently. What is there about your life that would make others who watch you acutely aware that they are missing something or someone? Our talk text gives us one answer to that question. Believers become contagious. We stand out like stars in the night when we're so filled with the Spirit of Jesus that we demonstrate a positive, optimistic, loving attitude in our negative culture. That our words are free from cynicism, complaining, and criticism, and that makes us different. That our church family, when we come together, is a model of unity and harmony in our relationships in spite of our diversity. At that point, we become persons our text describes as lights that stand out in a dark culture. At that point, we become the kind of persons that when people watch us, they're saying, what do you have that I don't? At a restaurant recently, I was embarrassed by the verbal abuse that a customer just heaped upon the waiter because her dinner wasn't exactly what she wanted. It was just, it was just embarrassing. And this is only one illustration among many that we could all add to of what it means to live in our kind of culture where there's a growing lack of civility. We all know that's happening. Last year in April, the U.S. News did an entire uh, feature article about the growing lack of civility in society, making the point that it's expressed primarily in an epidemic of violent, vulgar words that are now part of public discourse, acceptable. As Christians, we have an opportunity to be different, to adopt a Christ-like servant attitude in contrast to those who believe the world revolves around them and their needs and their wants and tastes. Billy Graham, as he's so able to do, correctly stated, if we would spend as much time praying as we do complaining, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. Such simple wisdom, yet so true. In the original language, complaining means to mutter, murmur, stimulate an undercurrent of debilitating discord that splashes everything with suspicion and doubt. That's exactly why complaining in our text is a sin. And as we are growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ, one of those steps is for us to become aware of this and then seek the Holy Spirit's power to do something about it. So let's look at our text and see what it offers to help us overcome our tendency, or I'm calling it our, this virus that fills our soul with a complaining spirit. First, complaining indicates self-interest has replaced the servant spirit in our hearts. And servanthood is what we're talking about this year. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. That's a beautiful verse. Breaking free from a spirit of grumbling, murmuring, complaining is an outward evidence of the remodeled job that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and mine. That's why we're here. Every week we're growing more into the likeness of Jesus. When we take the name Christian, it does matter what people think of us. Why? Because people judge Jesus by what they see in our behavior. And I think that's awesome because that's for better or worse. Uh, one of you told me that you were in Pete's, I think it was the week, uh, last week or the week before, and um, 9.30 was just getting out. 
And you overheard one of the people who sit over there watching us saying, hey, they've just released the Christians. <laughs> and if you think about that, not only are we watched, we're released, but what impact are we going to have out there because we've been in here? The world does watch us and it judges Jesus by our behavior. And I'm wondering what we say when we go into Draeger's or Pete's after we've been in worship. Only you know. Think about the early Christians. They were noticed and they were loved by secular society according to the book of Acts. Why? Not because of their doctrine. It was because these people in the midst of that culture were capable of loving and being affirming and they loved people outside the church and especially when they came together, they loved each other. And that impressed people who didn't know Jesus. It told them they had something the secular world didn't have. There was a change happening then. If you notice People Magazine this week, it featured the makeover on, of top Hollywood stars and they were all on the cover. It says new hair, new clothes, new bodies. And I guess that's what Hollywood can do. But you know, it's all on the exterior. And I thought the one thing Hollywood can't change is hearts. And that's where we, Jesus, we Christians have an edge. Jesus is changing our hearts. He's changing inside so that what comes out is a reflection of him. A staff member gave me a, a metaphor that maybe helps us understand this. Uh, he says, if you imagine we have a yoke on our shoulders and a bucket uh, hanging from a rope at the end of the yoke and we walk through life or walk through the church or society and one of the buckets is filled with water and one of the buckets is filled with gasoline and as we go through, fire, uh, through uh, society at the office or in the church we encounter little fires of discontent and we have a choice we can pour gasoline on the fire and burst into an inferno and maybe it makes us feel pretty uh, important that we can feed that criticism, that slander, that negativism, or we can pour water on it and put the fire out. And the choice is ours. And I thought that's a very simple metaphor, but maybe it makes the point. The choice is ours. This is what scripture means when it says a soft answer turns away wrath. One positive person in the midst of a whole flock of negativism can make a difference. Personally, I need to tell you, I've discovered in preparation for this sermon, I really am a genius at complaining. I, that's why I want you to all preach on this subject. It's amazing when you start keeping track on any given day of just how much negativism comes out of, at least I need to say, out of my mouth. When I get preoccupied with my wants, my needs, my hurt feelings. How often when someone is rude to me, I, I want to strike back. And, and it's really particularly when I'm driving. I don't know if that's, yesterday I was coming out mid-afternoon on Santa Cruz and a driver just really ticked me off to be honest. And you know why I didn't do more than I did? Because I thought it might be one of you. <laughs> but, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's sort of calculated hypocrisy, you know? It means it's still in there. And it seems we always can create an excuse for being uncivil. And it's not until we analyze what we're doing do we realize self-interest, preoccupation with our rights and wants have taken control of our attitude. Thinking deeper about being a grump, if you look into the Old Testament, we discover God takes a negative spirit very, very seriously. Listen to God's response when the Jews were whining to Moses 
because they were in the wilderness, they'd been delivered from slavery, but they weren't having immediate gratification for their needs. And it goes like this in the book of Numbers. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and said, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I performed among them? I'll strike them down with a plague and destroy them. Perhaps a modern form of God's anger at our complaining is, you know, the sheer misery of the person who complains. A grump hurts God, a grump hurts other people, but you know, a grump really hurts most of all themselves. Have you ever seen anybody complaining and smiling at the same time? It absolutely takes away our joy. It gives Satan a foothold in our life. Uncivil behavior is really a slander of God's reputation. And when they, we release the Christians today, <laughs> again, people out there will be watching to see what we really think about God's provision in our life. I guess that's why James writes, the tongue is a fire staining the whole body, set on fire by hell. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. That's really the issue, isn't it? We follow Jesus, and out of this same mouth that professes love for the one who died for us come also cursing and negativism and complaining. In Proverbs, we read, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's profoundly true. Blessing and complaining should not be coming out of the same mouth. That's the message of the text. Why? Jesus told us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It isn't just words. What comes out here is indicative of what's in here. When a negative spirit dominates our behavior, it simply means we've turned from being servants and self has climbed back on the throne of our lives and we have a disease in our hearts. It's sin and we need a divine cure. So secondly, conquering a complaining spirit is not something we do in our own strength. It's going to require a miracle of God. Our text says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I'm interested in this phrase, work out your salvation. Working out might seem to indicate the necessity that we've got to do something good as a prerequisite to please God. Not so. Actually, it refers to our spiritual journey of desiring to become like Jesus once we know him as Savior. It's sort of an involuntary reaction. Because we love him, we want to become like him. It isn't work, it's love. The problem is that in our own strength, we can't really change. We, we can only ask the Holy Spirit to take our, away our rudeness, uh, change our negative thoughts, put a plug in our mouths that spout so much discontent. And yet I need to tell you, without divine help, I can't and you can't change. Someone happened to bring this to the five o'clock service. He thought he was a prophet, but he handed it to me at the door because he said that uh, this is something he had been thinking about it. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very grateful for that. But Lord, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, <laughs> I'm definitely going to need more help. You know, that's so true. I don't have any hope for changing my negativism, neither do the rest of us. I'm addicted to complaining, 
In fact, at times, I guess I like being a grump and it just comes out. It's sort of like the t-shirt I saw somewhere. I've started talking and I can't stop. And this fact explains the words of our text. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The good news is God is ready to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. The only thing we can offer to God is a desire to change. Coupled with that confession, I can't do it unless your Holy Spirit comes in and changes my heart. So we can ask the Holy Spirit to form in us our Lord's likeness as a servant, which means that we understand as Christians we're not to focus on our rights, but on our responsibilities to care for others. That we're called to take every thought captive, refusing to allow the world around us to squeeze us into its negativism, perhaps even more so at election time. To set a guard over our mouths, to count blessings rather than frustrations. To respect people so much, we'll never treat them as objects because Jesus died for them. And maybe this is a good one to start thinking about solutions for problems rather than just complaining. For years, when we go up to Tahoe, I, I walk in the morning. And if you live up there, you know trash day is a very special day because there's always a huge mess. And the reason is bears come out at night. And these bears, no matter what kind of a little protection for your barrels that you build, they can break into anything. And so by morning, Everything's scattered everywhere. And for years, the residents up there have just been complaining about the bears. Well, one guy wanted to do something more than complain. So he invented a solution. He invented a bear-proof trash container. <clears throat> Hundreds of people are buying it. He's getting rich. And now it said the bears are complaining. <laughs> and the whole point. As Christians, we're empowered to do more than complain about the trash in the movies the rudeness in society, the internet, the rudeness and slander in politics, the things that we don't like that other people do. We can ask God to at least do a miracle in us and we can become part of the solution by making us polite and patient and positive. One person in the midst of the flood of negativism out there can make a difference. We shine like a star in the night. <clears throat> I challenge us to pray with the psalmist this week. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Or the words of Paul, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. I believe we must take very seriously this subject from Jesus when he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, we'll render account for every careless word we utter. For by our words, we'll be justified, and by our words, we'll be condemned. That's heavy stuff. One writer puts it this way, a person's words lightly spoken on the spur of the moment reveal more of his heart than all of his calculated hypocrisy. <clears throat> I challenge us to enter this week with hope-filled minds so confident in God that our pessimism, negativism, and fears will be destroyed. And before we get out of bed in the morning, let's remind ourselves that our God is good and that he's all-powerful, and because he's in control, we don't really have anything to complain about. I really firmly believe if all of us take this mandate seriously, we can make a difference. And the Lord knows society needs us. 
So by Wednesday, if someone asked you what the sermon was about this week, after you were released, <laughs> um, you might say, well, I learned that God doesn't want me to be a grump. That's worth thinking about and worth praying about. I didn't want us to leave this morning, though, without making a response. So often we hear stuff, but God really wants us to make a response to it. And I thought it'd be appropriate for us just for a few moments in our private time with, between us and God, if someone, something has come to mind. I don't know how you heard these words or what you need, but you don't know. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe, I don't know what. I know what I need to do. Why don't we have just a time of some private prayer and ask God to start this process of our quit being grumps. Would you pray with me for a while? Lord, your word is powerful. We're grateful for it. And today you've told us that you want us to trust you enough that we can get rid of negativism and replace it with joy and thanksgiving and optimism and hope. And we can't do that in our own strength. But God, we want you, even as a result of this worship service, to do a miracle in our hearts. And when we leave here, may people see in us something they want. And may that point them to Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen.